Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Daniel, chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Listen now for the word of God. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will save you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He replied, But I see four men unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics were not harmed, and not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. The word of the Lord. Amen. 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were three young Jewish men who had been carried off into exile in Babylon when King Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem in the early 6th century BC. However, because of their youth and their good looks and their intelligence and their capabilities, they had been taken to the king's palace where they were trained by the palace master to serve in the king's court. And there they received the finest free education in the land, their fill of good food and wine, sweet digs in the palace, and the opportunity to rub shoulders with all those most really important people in the empire. It's a pretty good gig for an exile, even if in an attempt to assimilate them, the palace master had given each of them Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Still, they excelled, and through the influence of their friend Daniel, who had uh, gained the favor of the king, they were promoted to overseers in the region of Babylon. Must have been pretty hard to believe for three Jewish boys who thought that their lives were over when Jerusalem had been destroyed. And yet against all hope and expectation, they had been given whole new lives, even if in a foreign land. But they had to decide whether they were going to allow themselves to become assimilated into the culture around them, or whether they would work to maintain their identity and calling as the people of God. But they could not do both. Now one day, King Nebuchadnezzar decides to have a great statue constructed out of gold and put up in Babylon. And he calls all the people together. And he commands that, them, that whenever they hear the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drums, and the entire musical ensemble begin to play the national anthem, they are all to fall down on the ground and worship the golden statue. Anyone who did not would immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. So, when all the people heard the band break out the Muzak, everyone bowed down as one and worshipped. Well, everyone except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so some of the Babylonian rulers, who were not particularly thrilled about the advancement of these young foreigners, go to the king and denounce these Jews, informing him that they are disobeying the king's command. Well, as you can imagine, this news did not sit very well with the king. In fact, he became furious. And so he immediately summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to find out if this was true. And he called the band to come in and start playing for them so that they could demonstrate their loyalty to the king and his gods by worshiping the golden idol. Or else... Into the fire they would go. 
The truth is, the world around us is constantly immersing us in its music, training us to march to the beat of its drum and to worship its gods. And idolatry always works best under the force of a mesmerizing rhythm, a mindless rhythm of expectation. Just bow your head and do as expected whenever you hear the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drums, and the entire musical ensemble begin to play, something the Nazis understood all too well. Of course, every nation does this, and our culture is particularly effective at it. Through our music and our social media and our political propaganda and all of our sources of entertainment, we are constantly and yet subtly being trained to think and act in certain ways, to adopt certain values and worldviews, and to idolize certain things. I mean, even the, the music that is playing in many of our restaurants and stores was chosen precisely because they believe it will make it more likely that we will spend more money. And as Valentine's Day just reminded us a couple of weeks ago, there are a few things that encourage lots of spending and that illustrate our idolatry, like our obsession with romance, which is surely one of our greatest cultural idols. You know, recently I saw the new remake of the movie West Side Story, which wonderfully illustrates this. It's an odd story, actually, something I didn't fully appreciate when I watched the original as a kid. But it's a story about two young people, Tony and Maria, who basically turn their backs on all their friends and family for the fantasy of true love with someone they had spent all of about five minutes with. I mean, even after Tony kills Maria's brother Bernardo, spoiler alert, their dream is unshaken as they continue to sing of their eternal love, at least until a few scenes later when Tony himself is tragically killed. The truth is, for as much as we chase after the American dream of wealth and fame and success, we elevate to godlike status the fantasy of falling in love with a Prince Charming or a Cinderella and living happily ever after while the music plays on and on and on. And some people will sacrifice almost anything to try to find it, even sometimes the partner they already have. And even if we do find it, it's really only a matter of time before the clock strikes midnight and you discover that your true love often resembles a frog more than a fantasy. And for as wonderful a gift as romantic love can be to us from God, it cannot last forever, despite all the songs that try to seduce us into believing otherwise. No matter how deeply in love two people are eventually, one of them is going to die as many of you are painfully aware. And if the other person has made an idol out of that relationship, well, they're going to feel like their life has ended as well. 
But I believe that our idolatry of romantic love is actually rooted in a God-created longing for intimacy, the desire to be fully known and accepted in our deepest selves and to know that we are not alone. But it is only God who is able to fulfill that longing. I mean, even our greatest loves here on earth are but a shadow of the love that God has for us revealed in the life and death of his son, Jesus. And when love for any other person or anything else for that matter takes God's place in our lives, it actually dehumanizes us. It makes us less than fully human. For we were made in the image of our Creator, and only when we worship God alone can our humanity be healed and restored. This is why the, the issue facing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was, was far more than just whether they would live or die. This was a, a decision about their humanity, for they had to determine what was a greater threat to their souls. Now, Nebuchadnezzar believed that the ultimate threat was found in the fiery furnace, which could snuff out their lives, and he used that threat to intimidate and control. But because of their rhythm of worship and devotion and obedience to God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to remain free and unaffected by the hypnotic rhythm of the king's music and propaganda and intimidation. And therefore, they understood that idolatry was a far greater danger to them than the mere loss of life. For when we worship anything other than God, it is our souls that are being burned alive leaving empty shells of desire that can never be satisfied. So when the three of them respond to Nebuchadnezzar, they offer no excuse, no argument, no defense whatsoever. They simply point away from themselves and toward the God who alone had the power to save them, saying, if our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the blazing furnace of fire and out of your hand, O king, then let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship your golden statue. Well, this sent the king into an apoplectic rage. And so he orders the furnace heated up to to seven times hotter than normal. And he commands his strongest guards to bind these three men tightly and toss them into the flames. Of course, the fire was so hot now that even the guards themselves got torched. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar notices something in the fire. Rather than seeing three bodies burning to smithereens, he sees four figures standing in the middle of the fire, untouched by the flames. And the fourth one had the appearance of a god because an angel of the Lord had been sent to deliver them. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar realizes the truth. 
And he calls them saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. And he gives them an even greater promotion. And he commands everyone in the kingdom to now honor the God of Israel. For there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. So what's the lesson here? Put your trust in God and he will always deliver you? I don't think so. I mean, there are far too many faithful saints across the centuries whose deaths claim otherwise, including Jesus. And certainly, we're all watching on TV many of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine suffering and even dying despite their faith and their prayers. And notice when, when, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond to the king, there is absolutely no expectation on their part that God is going to deliver them. After all, faith is never a quid pro quo. We do this for God, and then God will do this for us. No, a living God cannot be so easily manipulated. No, they are simply placing their lives back into the hands of the God who created them in the first place, whether they lived or died, because they believe that there is no other God but Yahweh. And people always act according to what they really believe. And so they refused to allow anything else to take God's place in their lives, not even their desire to live. And notice, God does not spare them from the flame. Instead, God saves them through the fire. You know, we keep wanting God to, to, to spare us from having to endure any fiery ordeals in our lives, whether it be a furnace of, of loss and grief, or a furnace of pain and suffering, or a furnace of sickness or disappointment or betrayal. But God never promises to spare us from these things. Instead, what we are promised is that God will always be with us through them. As God says in the 43rd chapter of Isaiah, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, and I love you. Do not fear for I am with you. You see, the reason Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to resist the pressure to assimilate and therefore face the fire was that they knew that the God of Israel was with them. And as long as God is the only one sitting on the throne in our lives, God's presence and God's grace will always be sufficient, even in the midst of the fire, even in the face of death.
And the truth is, there is no situation in our lives where God is not able to bring new life, where there appears only to be death. Now, this, this doesn't mean that everything's always going to turn out the way that we want it to. It certainly doesn't mean that nobody's ever going to die. I mean, as Ash Wednesday just reminded us, all of us are going to die and return to the dust from which we were made. But death is not an obstacle for our God. For on the cross, Jesus Christ has already conquered the grave. And therefore, even in death, we know that Jesus will still be with us and that we will always belong to him. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 14, if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. And so whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. And this means that, that, that whenever we, we experience death in our lives, whether it be the death of our loved ones or our marriages or our dreams or anything else for that matter, it means that our lives are not over as well. For Jesus Christ is still with us, and he is still Lord of our lives. But so often we have a tendency to, to cling so tightly to the life we once knew that we become unwilling or afraid to open ourselves up and receive the new life that Jesus is just dying to give us. But that's just bowing down before Nebuchadnezzar's statue believing it's the only option we have. But there is always a choice. And there is still more life to be had for those willing to trust and receive it. I mean, that's, that's what this table is all about. And it's why Jesus keeps inviting us to come back again and again and again. For through the rhythm of his broken body and shed blood, Jesus continues to meet us here, offering us new life, even in the midst of the fire. In true love, which alone can satisfy the deepest longing in our souls and make us fully human once again and be very sure not even death itself can separate us from that love thanks be to God Amen